Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Pet. People have their opinion. What other falsehoods are out there? A lot of the perception things about us. Are players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. Rebuilds are difficult. Sometimes it takes years and years. I still believe, given a a really good offseason with this draft pick that we have coming and with our ability to to get some veteran players in here alongside these young guys, we we can make a substantial leap. Kick back, relax. Locked on Bulls starts now. My job is to prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. And these guys are men. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Lockdown Bulls, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter, at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Lockdown Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369, the place to do that. Drop all of your texts, all of your voicemails, anything you got for us, reaction to free agency over the last few days. You still want to discuss what the Bulls did on draft nights, anything in between, hit us up at 331-979-1369 or on Twitter at Bulls. Back here for Wednesday Mailbag, a little bit of a different mailbag here today. So I'm going to start the show off by taking all of the voicemails that were left for us over the last week or so. And then at the back end of the episode, Matt is going to take the text messages. So we got it a little bit split up, both of us going solo here in two parts of the episode, but you will hear both of us throughout this episode. So yeah, a little bit of a conflicting timing. Work schedule has been crazy for me over the last few weeks, and Matt is on his way to Michigan. So we split it up this way, so making sure that at least you guys have an episode for today, and we will have an episode for tomorrow. So any of those people out there that have to work on July 4th, or you're just looking for something to listen to uh, on tomorrow, we do have an interview with Michael Walton from NBC Sports Chicago. He does a great job producing Bulls content over there. So Matt talked with him, and that episode will be out tomorrow's episode. So a lot of content for you guys over the last couple of weeks, and specifically this week, talking about all the free agent signings that happened in the first 48 hours. We dropped that episode yesterday on Tuesday. So go ahead and go listen to that. That was an over an hour conversation Matt and I ran through around the entire NBA So if you didn't listen to that so far, you still have that full hour episode to listen to. And then Monday's show, we went through specifically through Thomas Sadoransky and Thaddeus Young, the Bulls' first two signings of the offseason and talked about how those guys will fit with the Bulls. So that is up there as well. Uh, Lou Cornette and Ryan Archidiakno are two other guys that signed Ryan Archidiakno three years, $9 million. Did not get a chance to talk about him, but we will on Friday's episode. And same thing with Lou Cornette. Uh, Lou Cornette played for the New York Knicks last year, 7-1 big man. So we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more in depth about both of those guys on Friday. Matt may touch on it during his text messages, and I may touch on it throughout the voicemails, but Matt and I will go back and forth and kind of discuss both of those guys' contracts and everything else to kind of wrap up the week on Friday. But without further ado, let's uh let's just get straight into these voicemails. Yo, what's up, guys? 
don't, I don't know what to think of Kobe Bryant, honestly, at this point. When they first drafted him, I was kind of pissed. Yeah, saw a lot of clips of him on YouTube, an hour worth there. I'm kind of happy. He's a great shooter. Can create a little bit. Yeah. Athletic, a lot of speed and agility. That's a kind of cool pick. I'm really excited about that center, though. He's the first-round pick. Well, he was mocked a first-round pick last year. I don't know why he went back to college. But, uh, you get your guys' opinion. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I didn't know really what to think at first about Kobe White. A little bit happier now. Just personality-wise, seeming like he is going to be one of those colorful personalities that the Bulls are desperately looking for. Like, Remember back to last season, Matt and I talked about this. It's like, who's going to be the guy that's kind of going to stand up and not necessarily be the leader, but kind of be the face of this organization? And not saying Kobe White's going to be the face of this organization. We don't know yet. But those personalities we're looking for, like obviously we got a good laugh out of Robin Lopez and we always get good quotes from him. Same thing with Jim Boylan. Uh, Lowry Markkinen slowly but surely is trying to come out of his shell a little bit. Uh, he's definitely has more of a bull personality on social media than he does through interviews. Uh, but I think with some time, I think we're going to get a little bit more colorful personality from Lowry Markin. And obviously, Zach Levine is kind of the spokesman for this Bulls team. And that's the guy we kind of always look and point to. But in terms of keeping things light and exciting and fun, I think Kobe White's going to be that guy. And definitely excited about what he's going to be able to bring on the floor. I think Matt and I talked about this on Monday you know, the free agent signing for the point guards that we were looking for is guys that were a ability to switch between the one and the two. And Thomas Sadoransky is going to be able to do that. And I'm interested to see if Kobe White's going to be in that similar situation, especially if, if they keep Chris Dunn around, uh, Ryan Archidiakono playing two in that point guard role. The mix of guards, the guys that are combo guards that the Bulls have, it's kind of crazy. We, we, don't necessarily see the Bulls teams of the past having as many combo guards as they do right now. So maybe Kobe White getting an opportunity to play the one and the two coming off the bench this year. I think it's going to be exciting and his ability to score and his ability to shoot is going to be huge for this Bulls team. So I'm excited. And as far as Daniel Gafford goes, yeah, I'm a little surprised that he didn't go out. uh, He didn't leave after his freshman year from Arkansas. And that was one of the things that a lot of people asked him at the beginning of his press conferences when he got drafted this year. It's sort of similar to Michigan State's Miles Bridges. Miles Bridges went back to college after being a contender for being a top 10 pick after his freshman year, but he went back to Michigan State, got a chance to play a little bit more, develop his experience under Tom Izzo, and came out, and he ended up at the back end of the lottery when he was drafted as a sophomore, so... I don't know if it was just a case of he wanted one more year at Arkansas to develop some more of his skills, and he definitely did that. I mean, he went from 11 points per game to 16 points per game, was the focal offensive point on that Arkansas team last year. And even if you go back and read Mike Anderson's quotes, who was his coach, talked about how he ended up having to be the number one option. They weren't sure how that was going to work out with him. Uh, It ended up working out pretty good for that Arkansas team. So definitely a steal for the Bulls at 38 for Daniel Gafford. And I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do. And we'll get our first opportunity to see him in a Bulls uniform on Summer League on Friday night when the Bulls kick off there. So excited about both of those guys, but thanks for the call. Hey guys, this is Micah in Colorado. Big fan of the show, as you guys know. Just want to say I am absolutely fucking stoked for Kobe White as our draft pick. I had him ranked on my board as the very lowest third-ranked player behind Ja and Zion. And to tell you the truth, pretty even with Ja Moran. I would have been okay with either or. Um, 
think he's going to be a phenomenal player for us, absolutely phenomenal. I think our big three of Levine, Laurie, and Kobe is there now. Let's go get a veteran point guard. Let's go bring in some uh, depth for the bench, preferably another shooter, and uh, let's make a run at this playoff spot. Hell yeah, go Bulls. Love to hear a call like that from Mike and from Colorado. Definitely a different tone than what we heard uh, back in December from Micah, if you guys don't remember listening, that was probably one of my favorite voicemails that was left all season long, and there was a ton of them out there, but this was after the 56-point loss. Micah dropped us a voicemail before the game happened against the Celtics. I think it was on that Friday, and then Micah ended up calling back in that weekend after the Bulls had lost the 56-point loss and absolutely torched the front office, and this Bulls team. So it's good to hear that you're a little bit more excited, Micah, now about what the Bulls' direction is than you were back in December. So great call. Definitely excited about Kobe White, too. And I think between him, Lowry, and Wendell, and even throwing Zach Levine into that mix, too, all of those guys together, I think, can now build a core, a solid foundation over the next couple of years. This is the one thing that I will say for Bulls fans out there that maybe are expecting a lot from Kobe White in his rookie year. He's going to make a lot of mistakes. He's going to have a learning curve, too. And there's going to be ups and downs to his game throughout his rookie year. Look at all the point guards that were taken last year. Trey Young had a terrible first two months of his season, but he bounced back, learned a lot, and had a really, really, really good second half to his season. And he was contending for rookie of the year alongside Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic was kind of the flip of that. He had a really, really good start to his season first two three months kind of tailed off towards the back end a little bit but still both of those guys had their ups and downs and same thing with Carter I think it was a little bit more difficult for Carter to kind of find his way this season just because of all the injuries that the Bulls had and he didn't he had to take on a role I don't think he was necessarily ready for I think a lot of Bulls fans too were willing to stick out his learning curve at least a little bit and we only got to see half half a season from him so I'm excited too, and hopefully you're excited about the the pieces that the Bulls signed after this, because this was voicemails about a week old or so, but hopefully you're excited about Thomas Adaransky and Thaddeus Young and Luke Cornett, uh, those guys that the Bulls picked up and added to their bench depth, and I think that is huge. Thaddeus Young being a scorer, Thomas Adaransky can put the ball in the bucket too, and also can facilitate for some of our other scores. but you're also getting healthy Denzel Valentine back across our fingers, knock on wood. You're also getting a healthy Chandler Hutchison back too, so you'll have a bunch of depth on that bench to kind of plug and play and I think Jim Boylan's going to have a ton of different options so good to hear from you Micah Uh, don't be a stranger and it's good to hear that you're in better spirits than you were in December what's up guys it's Julian obviously the Bulls just drafted uh, Kobe White and and Daniel Jackson I love those picks they're very solid picks so it's pretty obvious now that you got two young guys um, probably the most athletic guys that we have in our team except Zach Levine um, without Auto Porter and the cap speed coming in 2021, 20, 22, and it's pretty obvious that's that's what we're playing for now. Um, these kids got to develop by that time, so um, you know I'm, I'm curious about the development plan. Now. You, you got uh, Chris Dunn has got to prove some worth, whether he plays or you trade him. So is he working with Chris Fleming on a three ball, or, or what's the plan there? Um, Chandler Hutchinson, he's got to uh, speed up his release time and pretty good three-point shooter, but what's the plan with him with his three ball as well as Wendell? So those guys got to take the step with their three ball um, as far as ball handling and strength. Um, we need uh, uh, Chandler and Lori 
can they step up the ball man and, and look to improve that aspect? Um, so looking ahead at free agency, I would really love if the Bulls now to get some two old heads, two, two veterans that can help the team from those aspects um, with uh, playmaking and then footwork and kick rolls. And the two guys, uh, you know, we, we don't want to take time away from the, the young kids, so can we get Rondo back? You know, if, if he's willing to take spot minutes, um, but really show Levine and uh, as far as pick and roll, vision, um, even Wendell from that aspect. And then uh, Joakim Noah. Um, again, we don't want to take time away from Wendell, even Daniel Gafford um, or, or Laurie. So can you take some top minutes, 10 minutes, but really be that bet that can show these guys, so the big guys, intensity. Um, Joakim was a phenomenal passer, um, positioning, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So that's really what I'm looking ahead to that come 2021-22, we've got our core young guys um, develop where the Bulls look like an attractive key um, during that time to maybe Bradley Deal or Paul George even because um, we, we haven't identified the most crucial position um, in the NBA is that wing spot that's going to be your two-way guy, your Kawhi Leonard, your, um, your Jimmy Butler. I can swing two, three, maybe even four because uh, uh, you know, Zach Levine ain't he ain't he is the guy long term, so we need to find that guy. Thanks. All right. Thanks for the call, Julian. Appreciate it. Julian's always got the very straight and objective mind towards what the Bulls are doing and appreciate every time he calls. Uh, a couple things here, though, uh, in terms of the point guards. He was asking sort of what what's up with Chris Dunn and what the Bulls may or may not do with him. I think now with Ryan Archidiakono signing that long-term deal, the three years, $9 million, I wouldn't be surprised if they're still actively looking to make a deal for Chris Dunn. But like I was trying to tell Matt, I don't think that there is any problem with bringing Chris Dunn into training camp. Like, I get Kobe White and him share an agent. Cool. I I get that Ryan Archidiakono seems to be higher up on the priority list than Chris Dunn is really at this point. I get the whole, like, Bulls not marketing him anymore as, like, one of their core pieces. I get all of that. But still, you don't want to train him away for basically a bag of chips. I don't want to do that. Bring him into camp and, and let those guys fight it out. I don't think that there is anything wrong with good competition going into training camp. Obviously, you don't want something to happen like Nico and Bobby did a few years ago, but I think that there was more of an underlining thing going on there than, than it was just those two fighting for the starting spot. With Chris Dunn, He's listed as a combo guard most places now, and that's what I was kind of talking about earlier. So here's a couple things on Chris Dunn in terms of if he is brought back to training camp, what would happen? Chris Dunn last year, his assist percentage, this is from cleaningtheglass.com, his assist percentage last year at 29% was in the 82nd percentile of guards. So that's pretty damn good. That's really damn good for a guy that only played 46 games. So being in the 86th percentile is really, really good. Assist to usage percentage, this was a stat I was talking about a few days ago, and his assist to usage percentage is at in the 79th percentile. Looking at Thomas Sadoransky, he was in the 91st percentile at 1.46. I even went over and looked at Ryan Archidiakonos. He was in the 93rd percentile in terms of assist to usage percentage. So just remembering what Ryan Archidiakono could do last year, he was a facilitator more than he was a score first type of guard. And I think that's why you see Chris Dunn's a little bit lower than all of these guys is because Chris Dunn was looking to score the ball for the majority of the time he had it. Uh, but still good to see that times that he was able to dish it off. And so I was trying to kind of tell Matt, it was 
like Chris Dunn can can give deliver assists. It's about the consistency level there. Like some games he'll have seven, eight, nine assists, and then he'll turn around and have a game where he has two assists. You know, I think the free throw thing was a big thing with Chris Dunn to his ability to finish around the rim and also draw fouls. That's something that Chris Dunn desperately needs to improve on. And maybe Chris Fleming, if he does stay around, can help him with that. Uh, that was something Zach Levine had struggled with, too, early on in the season is getting the respect from the refs and being able to draw those fouls. Like early on in the, the season, the first two months or so. He's only shooting like three, four, five free throws a game and then got sort of got some more respect from the refs as the season went on. He also learned the tricks of being able to get the attention of the refs and draw more fouls. So I think I think that's something Chris Dunn should focus on this summer. Um, let's see. Thomas Adoransky, in terms of turnover percentage, it's not great in terms of these point guards and their turnover percentage. The only one that has is actually a good percentile is Ryan Archidiakno. He's in the 79th percentile at 10.3% in terms of turnover percentage. Sadoransky and Chris Dunn on the opposite side of that spectrum. 14.5% in turnover percentage. That puts Thomas Sadoransky in the bottom third of the NBA in terms of combo guards. And Chris Dunn's hanging out there with him too. Uh, 22nd percentile, 13.8% turnover percentage. So that's something those guys are going to have to clean up. Thomas Sadoransky and Chris Dunn, if they hang, if more so if Chris Dunn hangs around until training camp and beyond that. So they're going to have to clean up their turnover percentage, be able to protect the ball. And that was a big issue with Zach Levine and Chris Dunn last year is just being able to control and and eliminate those really, really dumb turnovers. So that's something that I'm going to look for Sadoransky and Dunn to kind of improve on. And in terms of Chris Dunn's shooting... I think the three-point percentage is going to be something he continues to work on in that three-point shot. Like, think about it this way. Chris Dunn shot 2.6 three-point attempts per game in his first season with the Bulls. That was 32.1% he shot. He actually improved that this year, not making as many, but not taking as many threes. Uh, so he's making 0.7 threes per game and shooting 35.4%. I think slowly but surely you saw Chris Dunn start to take more threes throughout the season. And that was something that I talked about when he came back from being hurt for the first, I don't know, what was it, six weeks that he was out. He came back and tried to shoot those threes, and I think that's why you see a dip in his field goal percentage as well. Um, it's right around the same as he was last year in the first season with the Bulls, but in terms of field goal percentage, people complaining about that, I think more so than anything, it was his ability to try and develop that three-point shot. So that's something that I would like to see Chris Dunn work on as well. Uh, but if there was an importance between the three-point shot and him, his ability to finish at the rim, I'd like to, to see him work on the ability of drawing contact at the rim and finishing there at a high clip. I would rather see him develop that to almost an elite level than I would see him trying to develop this three-point shot over the next couple of years. Eliminate that mid-range game where he was pretty effective in his first year with the Bulls, but after that last year, that mid-range shot was just not falling for Chris Dunn. So he's got to pick one or the other, and let's see if he can improve on it, on that this summer. What's up, guys? So just calling in, share my opinion on the draft. Uh Kind of disappointed. Um, I do like Kobe White, and I think that it's a good pick. And they did that what they did best in that position with what they had. Um, but I kind of think of this rebuild kind of like how, um, in a little ways of the way that the Cubs did it. So hopefully this is the lowest pick of the Bulls' rebuild. And if you think of the lowest pick when the Cubs were rebuilding, they got Chris Bryant. Okay, so. 
obviously we weren't going to be able to get Chris Bryant there, but I was really hoping that they could move up and get that Garland type of pick. Seems like his ceiling was a little bit higher. Um, so that's why I'm disappointed, but overall kind of feeling good with, uh, Kobe White. I think it's, uh, good moving forward. And then I'm just wondering what you guys think of two names moving forward with the veteran point guard, uh, Alfred Payton and George Hill. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, Alfred Payton and George Hill obviously went to different teams. George Hill went back to the Bucks on a new deal. And then Alfred Payton signed a two-year, $16 million deal with the New York Knicks. So I wonder if this caller feels a little bit content or happy with what the Bulls did with Thomas Sadoransky. I know Matt and I are pretty pleased with adding him and not having to give up a whole lot and also to the contract three years 10 million dollars per season not too bad and that guaranteed money too is not uh, not fully guaranteed in that third year so the Bulls do have some flexibility there but in terms of like comparing the Bulls rebuild to the Cubs rebuild I don't know if I would go as far as saying like Chris Bryant compares to any one pick that the Bulls have had over the last few years. Because think about Chris Bryant. He won an MVP in his first couple of seasons with the Cubs. There's high expectations for him. And I don't think you have a guy like that. Obviously, the MVP award is a lot more difficult to win, I feel like in the NBA than it is in the MLB. Like you can see surprises here and there all across the board every single year. Whereas the NBA, you kind of have four or five guys every single year. Those top stars that you are willing to bet are going to win the MVP. And for probably for the good majority of the season, James Harden and Giannis were the two guys always talked about as the MVPs. So I think it's a lot more difficult for younger players to be in that conversation. Obviously, we were lucky enough to have Derrick Rose, who was one of the youngest, the youngest MVP ever in the entire league. So I think we were a little bit spoiled with that. I don't know. I'm not as big of a, I'm not a big Cubs fan. I'm not a Cubs fan at all. I'm a White Sox fan. So I don't know how to compare this rebuild to that. I think in terms of the way that this rebuild is going, at least the first two years, reminds me similarly more towards the Sox and maybe that's more of a pessimistic look on my part than anything else but a lot of top prospects a lot of guys that you were hoping and banking on have had injuries and have kind of set back that timeline for the White Sox all their pitching staff has gotten hurt a lot of those young guys have gotten hurt had to have Tommy John surgery talking about Kopech talking about uh, Giolito had it early on in his career talking about all of these other guys that have had to have either Tommy John or had something go wrong in their farm system kind of set back that rebuild I felt like this season with the Bulls injuries kind of set that rebuild back a little bit not not significantly but in terms of the timeline set it back a little bit more so maybe that's just a pessimistic look on my part looking at the White Sox rebuild and all the injuries that they had and compares similarly to what the Bulls are doing now, and I'm still hopeful with the White Sox rebuild. I think it's just going to take longer than maybe we initially thought, and maybe that's exactly how this Bulls rebuild is going to go. It's going to take longer than I think fans initially thought it was going to take, and it doesn't happen overnight. Sounds like Gar Foreman again, who says, you know, you don't snap your fingers and it all happens overnight. We just have to be patient. I think being patient with some of these young pieces that the Bulls have not all of them are going to hit, but I feel like if we hit on one or two of these guys, Carter, Markinen, Kobe White, Zach Levine, any of these guys end up turning into being all-stars, I think we're on a good path. So be patient, hope for health, first and foremost this season, and then after that we'll see how the talent plays out on the floor. But I'm cautiously optimistic with this Bulls rebuild. I think we just need to stay patient. G'day, Matt. G'day, Jordan. Um, Stu from uh, Melbourne. 
Just want to get your thoughts on uh, a different strategy for free agency I had that kind of ties in with the text from uh, last week about Ed Davis. What if we went older instead of going for a Brogdon or something like that, going younger when we already have the youngest, one of the youngest teams in the NBA? Why wouldn't we go after like a Vince Carter who can help a Zach Levine, a lesser one here, Rondo, to help uh, guide Kobe White to be more assistant um, defence where he's seen as being as a development opportunity and like Ed Davis and Dudley who can kind of show Carter and um, and Markkinen a bit kind of assist their games and really wily veterans to feel part of the uh, Brooklyn bench mob which showed massive improvements. Just one of your thoughts on that. Awesome. Thanks guys. Bye. So obviously another call. Thanks for calling Stu too all the way from Australia. Call before free agency hit. So Jared Dudley going to the Lakers. That was of recent news. Ed Davis went to the Utah Jazz. I wonder how he feels about guys like Thaddeus Young coming in here, being a veteran presence. Obviously going to be a huge upgrade in terms of locker room and leadership. Looking at all the Pacers fans that were reading his goodbye and thanks to the Pacers, I don't think I saw a bad word from any of the Pacers fans about Thaddeus Young. Seems like a lot of players love him, too, around the league. So I think that in itself may be a little bit of an overpay in three years, $41 million. I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised with what Thaddeus Young is going to be able to bring to this Bulls team. And they've got not only veterans, and they they didn't go after like they usually do. They, don't, they didn't just money grab at the name and try to get fans excited for a couple of months like they tried last year with Jabari Parker. This is a veteran that is going to come in and be able to actually help and shape and form this team. And I think he's going to be the glue that was missing from this Bulls team all season long. Robin Lopez tried to do it as much as he could. There's a lot of dysfunction going on last year. So I think that he can be part of that glue guy. Same thing with Thomas Sadoransky. I think the things that you were looking for in older vets, stopgap veteran point guards to help Kobe White along, I think Thomas Adaransky is going to be able to help those guys too. And like I was talking before, I don't think Kobe White is going to be a traditional point guard. I think he's going to be one of those combo guards the Bulls are going to be able to use at the one and the two. And I think Thomas Adaransky is going to be perfect to be able to help him along and how to play both of those positions. So I think there's definitely a lot of talent and a lot of experience for both of those young guys to learn from Daniel Gafford in the front court and Kobe White in the back court. So wonder how you're feeling about some of the signings that the Bulls made and maybe even throw in Luke Cornett, who's a younger guy too, that is going to help sure up that back court should anybody else get hurt. Obviously hearing the the news about Carter too with having to have a core muscle surgery is not going to play in summer league. That's a little bit of a bummer and a setback for Carter as well. He won't be ready until training camp starts in September. So knock on wood, hopefully he gets fully healthy and he doesn't miss any of training camp and there is no other setbacks there. But I think the Bulls wanted insurance on that too and that's why you saw them sign Luke Cornett and Thaddeus Young. Two guys that if Carter does miss any time that you can kind of plug and play and the Bulls won't miss a beat where they did last year where they were short on depth in their their front court and ended up having to have see Felicio play for the better part of six weeks and nobody wants to see that so hopefully Carter gets fully healthy time for training camp and everything goes smoothly after that so hoping for a best recovery for him we won't see him in summer league but we will see Daniel Gafford and we'll see Kobe White play in summer league this year so that'll be exciting hey what's up guys Jeremiah from Jacksonville just calling back for another question for you guys. 
just want to say keep up the great work on the podcast. I'm still listening every day, guys, so just appreciate it. So I'm currently, this is Monday morning, I'm reacting to the Thomas Sanaretsky and the Thaddeus Young signings. And honestly, as a Bulls fan, I don't know how to feel. I feel very conflicted in a way. Like, I'm glad that we got, you know, a backup for Lowry, but Thad Young is a, a good starter, you know. And I don't want him to take any minutes away from Wendell Carter or or even Daniel Gafford or, or Lowry Markinen himself. But I like the Thomas Sanaransky move. But what move do you think you guys think the Bulls should have made? I mean, it could be worse. We could be New York Knicks fans. But what move do you think the Bulls should have made in this free agency, if not any? Or did they make the right moves by signing these two guys? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling, Jeremiah. What moves should the Bulls have made? You know, Matt and I talked about this going through some of the signings that happened through the first 48 hours. We played a little game back and forth. We were like... Would you have been okay with the Bulls making that signing where they ended up going? Guys like Patrick Beverly, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, those, all those guys that the Bulls were interested in or maybe even discussing about signing. When they signed other places, would we have been happy with the Bulls doing that instead of signing Thaddeus Young and getting Thomas Sadoransky? To me, I think this was the best move possible, and it was a move that we didn't even see coming. Like I didn't see that Thomas Sadoransky was going to move away from the Wizards. Like, I thought for sure the Wizards were going to bring him back because of John Wall's injury, because they had restricted free agency on him as well. And he was still good. He was playing pretty decent for the Wizards the back half of that season. So I was very surprised that they were willing to part with him. But with them, with their massive cap that they have and just complete destruction and dumpster fire, similar to the New York Knicks, the Wizards are just completely in trouble. So I really like the move there. If there was a move that I would have liked to see... Patrick Beverly would have been good at three years at $40 million, I believe he made. That would have been fine with me. I would have liked that a lot. Bring him in, let him start, similar to the way that they're going to probably let Thomas Sadoransky start. I would have been cool with that. Anything else, though, I, I, was, I was pretty okay with. Talking about Malcolm Brogdon, the money that he got from the Pacers, I'm, I'm fine passing on that because you're tying yourself up for the next four years. And obviously, you can, have, you can trade him if you want to, but it, it gets a little bit... More difficult to do moves like that, especially if he isn't playing well. And Matt had mentioned, too, that there was a lot of worry from the Milwaukee Bucks side about the foot and whether or not that was going to be able to hold up. So I'm glad that the Bulls didn't overpay for a guy like that. Same thing in their backcourt or same thing in their front court. Taj Gibson would have been cool, too. He signed two years, $10 million with the New York Knicks. I would have been totally fine with that. That's kind of the price you were looking at, though, for point guards. Point guards were definitely... I wouldn't say overpaid, but the price in terms of what we were talking about all season long is definitely higher than I think I expected. So I don't think there's necessarily a move I would have liked to see the Bulls make instead of what they've done. You know, Noah Vonley would have been good. Like, these are smaller moves too that the Bulls could have made. Noah Vonley would have been cool to bring back for a year. I think his ability to play between the four and the five, he's an excellent rebounder too. The offense is coming along a little bit slower than I thought he was when he came out of Indiana. But definitely a a solid rebounder, a guy that can stretch the floor, can run the floor, and that would have been somebody I'd like to see see them bring in. 
Now they still have they still have a move that they can make if they want, but I don't know if they will. Vince Carter would have been a guy that I would like to see as a veteran. We talked about Jamal Crawford too. Would have been cool to see like a guy that's at the end of his career, but still looking to kind of mentor these young guys. Vince Carter, Jamal Crawford come right off the top of my head. And those two guys I would have liked to see sign, but there isn't really a move that I would have rather seen the Bulls make. Uh, Rashawn Holmes is another guy from Lockport, Illinois, went to Lockport High School. He would have been an interesting young player to bring in instead of Lou Cornett, Uh, but I don't really have too much of an opinion. I need to go back and watch a little bit more film on Lou Cornett, and we'll talk and discuss about him on Friday a little bit more, but I'm pretty content with the Bulls offseason so far, and I know there's some angry Bulls fans out there that they didn't have conversations with any of the top-tier talent out there. Look, I was pissed off at the trade deadline when they did this because I knew that this was happening. I've learned to accept it now, at least right now because of where the Bulls are at. And I know a lot of Bulls fans out there are saying that are pissed off about this, saying that you shouldn't expect that and you shouldn't accept mediocrity. Or you shouldn't lower your expectations levels because of what the front office is doing. I totally get that and I'm, I agree with you. But the outlook of this rebuild is different now. I said it looked kind of hazy before at the trade deadline when they made the move for Otto Porter. They knew that they were kind of kind of strike out on all of these top free agents. And I get the, the entire NBA, 40% of the NBA was a free agent in some capacity this summer. And this was one of the biggest free agency off seasons. And the Bulls were kind of out on it. Did you realistically think that you were going to get Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or Tobias Harris or Kemba Walker? or Kawhi Leonard, or Klay Thompson, or Jimmy Butler even for that fact. Did you think the Bulls were really realistically going to be able to sign any of those guys? Even if they didn't make the trade for Otto Porter, they just let Jabari get off of his contract, did not pick up the option for the second year, let Bobby go into unrestricted free agency, renounce his rights, and or maybe even signed him back on a, on a smaller deal. Bulls would have had space to, to sign one max player. One, that's it. Where does that get you in terms of this rebuild? Yeah, you're speeding it up a little bit, and maybe they'll be a little bit more fun to watch immediately. But I feel like the the ceiling on that type of rebuild is back to where we were with Jimmy Butler before we traded him. Six, seven, eight seed, maybe the fifth seed if you're a little bit better than some other teams in the East. But you weren't getting conversations with any of those guys, and it starts in exactly what I said on Monday. It starts with the Bulls having to show some of these top talents that... They're organized, there is no dysfunction here, that they're actually winning, and they're proving to these older guys, these guys that are top-tier free agents, that they're they're serious about doing that. Look at a, look across the league, all of the tanking teams. It took it takes them a while to get people to take them seriously. So I think that's where it starts with this Bulls team. Two years down the road when you have to make decisions on Sadoransky and Thaddeus Young. Let's see where this young core is at and how they've played over those two years. And I think that's the first step is you've got to start winning games. Big ta- time talent free agents don't want to come to teams that have been historically losing over the last few years. That's what the Bulls have been doing. So it starts with being able to win games, being organized, constructed, and not having any dysfunction like the Bulls have had over the last couple of years. So it starts there, and I think it's going to be a slow process to get back and build some of that trust so these top free agents that are saying, hey, you know what, maybe I will go play in Chicago. Seems like they have their shit together now. Whereas the last couple of years, the Bulls really haven't had their shit together. So I get the frustration, and I'm not lowering my expectation level. I think I'm just a little bit more patient than I once was because I can kind of see the vision that the Bulls are at. Now, if they would have went out and threw a ton of money at 
guys just for names, I would have been a little bit more pissed off and still seeing that this rebuild was a little bit hazier than before. So that's kind of where I'm at. Thanks for the call, though. I appreciate it. Hello, guys. Uh, this is Patrick from Hammond, Indiana. Um, I'm just calling uh, to express that overall, uh, I'm pretty happy with what we've done with the cap space that uh, we've had going into this past season and into this free agency. Um, you know, the Bulls, as has been stated prior to today, that, you know, they were realistic about their um, options for this free agent class, and they decided to make a preemptive move, move and uh, use some of that cap space in a trade for Otto Porter, which, as you guys have stated before, and I agree that he filled that much-needed uh, small forward role and added that shooting that was, uh, you know, necessary for us. And then for us to get, um, you know, Thaddeus Young, uh, a, a durable guy who has versatility, who can guard multiple positions, play multiple positions, um, can put the ball in the bucket a little bit. And then you got uh, Tomas Sadoransky, who's six foot seven, who can play the one, the two, can guard arguably, you know, one, two, and, and three positions. He can shoot. Um, you know, and, uh, he, you know, he, he's a pretty fierce competitor and he does everything with a purpose, whether if it's his dribble, his drive or his shot, his decisions, he does everything with a purpose. Nothing's wasted. That's one thing I like about him. But overall, I'm happy with the moves that they've made. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Bulls should be a much improved team next year, barring injuries and, and whatnot. And, uh, I know it's not, extremely likely, but may, perhaps the Bulls fight for an eighth or seventh seed. And if we get that, please, Bulls fans, let's not uh, talk junk about, oh, you know, why are we just doing this in order to achieve a middling uh, playoff position and we're just going to get bounced in the first or second round. Look, that's where it starts for damn near every team. Jordan never got to the finals or the Eastern Conference finals until, you know, what, 88, 89? It took him five or six years to get to where, uh, he and the, and the team eventually got to. You know, look, look at all these other franchises. At the snap of a finger, Golden State just didn't start winning championships like that. They got bounced too at first. The Lakers got bounced when they had Kobe and Shaq. They got bounced in the second round, got swept and everything. It's going to take uh, some years to get back to that level. It's not just going to happen overnight. And like every other team, it's going to take a stroke of luck as well. It takes good decisions by the front office, good drafting, good trades, good development, good coaching. But even with all of those things in line... Thanks for the call, Patrick. Definitely agree with you, especially everything you were saying at the back end of the voicemail is that it's not going to happen overnight. And even if the Bulls do, which, again, I think the, those expectations and the reality of them happening, them making the playoffs, I don't know about that. Like we're talking about 20-win jump here, and the East is pretty decent now. You're fighting with five teams for essentially two spots at that point. Because if you look at the Eastern Conference right now, consider all of the free agents that signed already. The Bucks, the 76ers, the Celtics, the Pacers... All are going to be in the playoffs automatically. Nets, same thing. Five teams already. Automatically lock them in. 
Raptors, depending on where Kawhi goes, if he goes back to that Raptors team, obviously lock them in. So six teams locked in. Even if he doesn't, I still think that they can contend for a playoff spot in this East. So let's just say six teams. All six of those teams are in automatically. You're fighting for two playoff positions with the Magic, the Pistons, the Heat, the Bulls, and the Hawks. Five teams for two spots. That Magic team is still good. And I think that they're, I don't think that this was a one-year wonder type of thing with that Magic team. I think they're only going to get better. Um, they brought a lot of their guys back, too. So I think they're going to hang around. The Pistons got better, too. They signed Derrick Rose. They signed Marcus Morris. They shirt up their bench a little bit. So I think that they're going to be good, too. So you're fighting with two pretty decent teams. And then on top of that, you got the Heat, who just added Jimmy Butler. You got the Hawks, who are on the rise as well. And then you have this Bulls team. So there's going to be some jockeying and some fighting for those last two playoff spots. And there's five teams there. The only teams that I think you can pretty much wipe out of playoff contention are the bottom four teams in the East. The Knicks, the Cavs, the the Hornets, and the Wizards. All four of those teams I don't see to contend for a playoff spot next year. But outside of that... Five teams for two playoff spots. You tell me if you think this Bulls team right now is going to be better than the Heat, the Pistons, the Magic, and the Hawks. You got to be better than three of those teams to make one of those playoff jumps. I don't know. That's pretty tough. And I get, like, the Bulls, if they were fully healthy last year, probably went around 27 to 30 games. So the playoff jump to get back to 500 is only 10 games instead of 20 where we're talking about. So I kind of consider that as well. I still think that putting that type of reality back onto this team for next year might be a little bit of a stretch. I just say temper your expectations and then maybe be pleasantly surprised. My expectations for this season coming up are somewhere between 32 and 35 wins and be a fun team to watch all season long. Going When I flip on my TV, I should be excited about what I'm seeing day in and day out. Obviously, they're going to have bad games, but I should be locked in and excited to see this team play. When we get to the middle of January, we get to the beginning of February, we should still be excited about this team the same way the Sacramento Kings fans were excited about their team basically all season long. They dropped out of the playoff race at the back last four weeks of the season, but for the majority of the season, they were really fun to watch. I want the Bulls to be in that stage next year. And if they're even better and they they surpass those expectations, I'll be definitely happy. But I think to pin them as a potential playoff team if they don't get there this season is a failure. To me, I think that's just setting yourself up to be disappointed. That's where I'm at in terms of realistic expectations for this Bulls team coming into this season. Totally understand what he's what Patrick's saying too about the development of all of these guys, getting your shooting wing in Otto Porter Jr. And I think now people have started to kind of pull away from the amount of money he's made and understanding that he could be a really underrated player for this Bulls team. And I think he's going to be really, really good alongside a full season with Market and Carter, Zach Levine, and now adding Thomas Sadaransky to that. The only thing I will say is, and this was to one of our past callers as well. Don't worry about Thaddeus Young. Don't worry about him stealing minutes from Carter and from Daniel Gafford. Look, Daniel Gafford is still very, very raw and young. He's going to need time. I think he's going to get minutes, but it's not like you can plug him in right away and play him 25 minutes a night and expect a ton from him right away. That's why I think they got the insurance policy on Luke Cornett as well. So you have both of those guys. I think you're going to see a mix of both of those guys at the center position this season alongside Thaddeus Young, but... 
Look, Carter and Markinen can't play 40 minutes a night either. So look for them to play about 32 minutes a night. And you're still going to need a guy that can come in and play four and five. And look, Thaddeus Young can play a bigger three, too. If you go back and look at his basketball reference, you look at his position breakdown. He was playing the three the last couple of years, too, in spots. So even if, if Chandler Hutchison can't play there or if, if Otto Porter Jr. is out, uh, Thaddeus can slide to the three. So he's very versatile in the positions that he can play. He could probably play even a small ball five if you needed him to. But the Bulls got Carter, Gafford, and Cornette to all fill that role. So don't worry about Thaddeus Young stealing minutes from these young guys. The obvious most important thing here is for the Bulls to focus on Carter and Markinen. And they're not going to jeopardize anything just to let Thaddeus Young play a few more minutes. So definitely something I don't think you need to worry about. But thanks for the call. Very, very good one. Hey, guys. This is Jordan from Tampa. Love the show. Calling in. I'm ecstatic about these two signs that we've already made with Sadoransky and, and Young. I think they're very versatile. They could play multi-positions. However, we do have about $4 million left in cap space, and I'm scared they're either going to do something too stupid or nothing at all. But if they do do something, my best scenario for us is maybe signing Vince Carter for a veteran minimum, just bringing him in behind Zach Levine. And also, we have Denzel Valentine as the backup, too. However, his health and durability is the biggest issue. And honestly, I don't know how well he will fit at the two. However, if we did have one more veteran to our team, if we needed to fill one more spot, either Vince Carter or we trade Chris Dunn for whatever and bring back Archie. I just want to know your guys' thoughts. Go Bulls. So they brought back Archie, which is awesome. Three years nine million dollars I figured he was going to get that much when I was playing around with the Bulls projections in terms of how much they were going to have in cap space I figured I slotted I slotted Ryan Archie Diacono into three and a half million a year so they actually got him cheaper than what I thought he was going to get so three million three years Archie does a lot of that 120% effort type of things that Jim Boylan absolutely loves and obviously John Paxson loves too so not really that big of a surprise that he's coming back the only disappointing thing with this is that I don't think Shaq Harrison's going to come back. Still some time for the Bulls to decide on that, but I loved what I saw from Shaq Harrison last year. And whoever picks him up, if the Bulls decide to let him go, it's going to get a really damn good young player. So maybe the Bulls figure out a way where if they want to cut Antonio Blakeney and keep Shaq Harrison instead, maybe they can figure something out to be able to do that. But I think the outcome we're coming towards, unless they move done probably going to see Shaq Harrison off this Bulls roster, but I like what the Bulls did too. Ecstatic, glad to hear some stuff, some Bulls fans very, very excited about what the Bulls did here in the offseason. They were sneaky good, and I see a lot of praise from national NBA too. Chris Herring just came out with an article too, said that Bulls have made some sneaky good moves this season and this offseason. Totally, totally agree with him. So the Bulls are actually getting some love from the national media, which is not something that the Bulls have been getting over the last few years. They've been kind of the the butt of the end of the jokes. And it's a good thing we're not the New York Knicks, because now that they get to take that spot from this Bulls team. So I would give the Bulls right now, looking at their offseason, probably give them a B+. B plus is really, really good for John Pax and Gar Foreman. So they've surprised both Matt and I and very glad that they didn't overspend and they've been savvy with their cap space and their money. The only downfall to this is that the Bulls don't have any cap space next summer, which is fine. 
I don't expect the Bulls to pay a lot of guys next year. And the, the free agent market there is pretty weak. So you're looking at 2021 where you're going to free up a lot of cap space, and that's where I think the Bulls can make some moves. So you have two years to basically evaluate your entire young roster. See where Markin is at in two years. See where Valentine, see where Valentine is. See where Levine is. See where Carter is. See where Kobe White is. Bulls can also make trades. They can make a trade for a superstar that maybe wants out. And two years down the road, a lot can happen between now and then. So I think the Bulls are setting themselves up for a good spot. I think this is where I'm talking about patience. We need to have some patience over the next two years. They're going to be a lot more fun than these first two years were to watch this Bulls team. Definitely can promise you that. Uh, Maybe we're even looking and talking about a playoff playoff team maybe coming 2020-2021. Um, those expectations, depending on how they look this year, I think those expectations are fair. But at least for this season, I would temper those expectations. Just see kind of how this core plays together. After that, I think 2021 is kind of the target, and that's kind of why you want to build up your reputation over these two years as a good team. They're going to have the ability to do that with the All-Star game coming here. You've signed some veteran role players to, to this team. You want guys to start talking good about this organization. I think it starts with winning. It starts with no chaos happening. Those two things need to need to happen over the next two years for us to really be able to be taken seriously by these top free agents. So 2021-22 would be, that would be the outlook for top free agents unless they decide to trade for somebody sooner than that. That's going to about do it here for me. Matt, on the backside of this now, is going to take all of your text messages. Remember, you can drop voicemails and text messages at 331-979-1369. Hit us up on Twitter, too, at Locked On Bulls, on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash Locked On Shy Bulls. Appreciate everybody calling in and texting in. Can't stress this enough. Thank you guys so much for listening to this show. Matt and I absolutely love doing this podcast, and it's really, really fun to hear from Bulls fans across across the country and across the world too. So thank you for calling in and thank you for all the kind words that you guys have given Matt and I for the podcast and appreciate you guys keep listening. So here is Matt to round out the day with all of your text messages. You know, we got bulls across our chest and, uh, Eddie from the three, one, two says, Hey guys, name's Eddie. Been a long time listener, but a first time texter. Welcome Eddie. After seeing the bulls get free agent signings after, That, I can honestly say I'm the most optimistic about this rebuild since it first kicked off in 2017. Along with the draft pieces, the Bulls now have a starting lineup of Sadoransky, Levine, Porter, Lowry, and Wendell, who can all shoot threes, and at the very least, have moderate defense. Not to mention, we finally have a point guard who's actually self-aware and will distribute the ball knowing he'll be the fourth or fifth option. Couldn't agree more, Eddie. On top of that, they might end up coming out with a bench mob 2.0, having a young... Uh, uh, Thaddeus Young, Hutch, and Gafford being tough defenders, along with Kobe White and Valentine potentially being microwave scorers. Oh, and Chris Dunn should get traded. A lot of great thoughts there, Eddie. Thanks for checking in. I agree with Eddie. After the moves that the Bulls have made uh, in the early offseason between the draft and free agency, I, too, am the most optimistic about this rebuild because I am still high on pieces like Lowry Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr. and Zach Levine. Still, I'm a firm believer in the fact that the Otto Porter trade was a smart move. And these free agent additions, to me, make perfect sense. They're not the big sexy names that some of the casual fans may have been hoping for and thinking were realistic possibilities. But 
it is right in line with what they told us they were going to do, which was add veteran pieces that can, yes, contribute on the court, but for the most part, whose jobs will be to provide some veteran leadership and experience and help the young guys further their development. Because Paxson continuously harps on the fact that the the Bulls getting this rebuild right and finding some success will largely depend on development from within. So they they added free agent pieces that will make Markkanen and Levine and Wendell better. Sadoransky, as Eddie said, he's going to be a pass first, pass second, pass third point guard. He's efficient when he does choose to shoot. He's got a great assist to turnover ratio and assist percentage when it comes to when he is the one handling the ball, but is perfect for the multi-ball handler system that will allow Zach Levine to run things at times and focus on getting Lowry Markin in his looks. Makes perfect sense. Thaddeus Young brings some great defense off the bench. Brings an ability to score down in the post, which they lost when Robin Lopez departed to Milwaukee. And uh, the most recent, last night, adding Luke Cornett, a, uh, a stretch four in exact terms. He's seven foot one. He does most of his shooting from behind the three-point line at a 36% clip. And he also is an underrated rim protector. Look at some of his, uh, you know, some of his blocks that he had this past season. Look at his block percentage, his block rate. It's pretty impressive. So all of these things that the Bulls did, they added some defensive help. Thaddeus Young's one of the best stealing players in this league, and that's kind of rare for a guy at his position. And Sato is the perfect fit for the other four in that starting five. As for the bench, I mean, it, it's going to be a, a deeper bench than it was last season when you basically had a bunch of G League players coming off the bench. Heck, you had G League players starting in March and April. Who knows what we'll see from Kobe White in his first year, but a young, fast, run hard, and uh, and keep your you know keep your def- uh, your opponent's defense on their heels kind of backup point guard. I like it. I could definitely see him being effective in a bench role in his rookie season. We'll see what we get as far as Hutchison's development in year two. We'll see what kind of play, if any, we get from Denzel Valentine coming off of missing an entire year with those troublesome feet and ankles. Um, and Eddie's last point about Chris Dunn being uh, should be traded, especially with the addition of Archie Diacono on that three-year, $9 million deal that the Bulls used uh, his uh, bird rights for yesterday. I think it's even more likely now than ever that they're trying to find a way to move Chris Dunn. As it sits right now, this roster is at 15 people. And uh, if, you know, if someone's to get moves uh, in essentially a clear Felicio's money by giving up an asset or clear Chris Dunn and maybe try to get a little bit of draft capital um, to also free up an additional roster spot uh, just to have open for the roster flexibility. I think those are the likely moves now. Thank you so much for checking in, Eddie. Uh, please text us back again sometime. Um, this one comes to us from the 630. Why are the Bulls' recent moves being uh, why, why are the Bulls' recent moves so popular among many NBA and Bulls beat writers? It's a good question. Uh, but it goes to what I was just talking about with the moves that they made being supplementary pieces who are not they're they're not ticket sellers they're not jersey sellers but for the love of god thank you that is what i wanted this bulls team to do because their free agency signings in the last few years have been more about putting butts in seats and selling jerseys aka Dwayne wade and jabari parker 
than they were about actually making good basketball moves to make the team better. So maybe they're not the sexy names that the average Bulls fan, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend any of our listeners out there by insinuating that some are average or casual Bulls fans. But if you didn't know who Thomas Adoransky was, if you didn't know who Thaddeus Young was, if you didn't know who Luke Cornett was, especially Luke Cornett, who's only been in the league a year and a half, playing on a terrible Knicks team, but Thaddeus Young is a savvy NBA vet who's been around a long time. Sadoransky has been around a little less than than Thaddeus Young. He's only been in the league for three, I think maybe four seasons. But he was a pretty prominent player for for Washington uh, over the last several seasons. So the reason that these signings are getting love from the media, not just here in Chicago, but national media who are saying, hey, you know what? The Bulls have quietly had a pretty good free agency. It's because they made shrewd moves that actually could help this team be better basketball team next year. That's why. It's not like they swung and struck out on getting the top tier free agents because everyone living in reality knew that that wasn't happening in the first place. These players that they signed will add wins without a doubt. And they weren't a foolish use of money. Compared to, say, some of the other teams out there that had money to spend and were banking on getting the big names and struck out and then spent that money on a bunch of pieces that didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Parentheses, the New York Knicks. That's why the Bulls are getting love in the media for these moves. They may not be sexy names, but they're smart when it comes to addressing the needs of this roster. Uh, This one comes to us from the 219. Hey guys, I hope you do remember that earlier last year, our pals from Locked On Hornets were giving us grief for losing attendance at the United Center. I think MJ's chickens have come home to roost and we ought to give them a condescending hug, letting them know that we were right. I had forgotten about our little friendly beef with the Locked On Hornets gang from last season um, because at some point in the season, it felt like the Bulls and Hornets played each other like every other day uh, in the middle of the schedule. And uh, yeah, we, we, we get uh, a little back and forth with the Hornets guys, and I feel bad for them. I feel bad for that fan base losing Kemba Walker and getting a point guard swap with Terry Rozier, who some Bulls were maybe open to the idea of bringing Rozier here. I thought it was a, a bad idea. And looking at the money that the Hornets gave him, oh boy, I am glad we're not in that position. And uh, I can't remember who, but some member of NBA media on Twitter when that Kemba and uh, when the Kemba and uh, Rozier point guard swap went down between Boston and Charlotte made a list of all of the players who at one point in any given season when Kemba Walker was on the roster made more money in salary that season than Kemba Walker did and it was a long list of mediocre players maybe what you could call slightly above average players and also some pretty damn bad players. We all love MJ here in Chicago, but the guy does not appear to be able to scout talent and build a winning basketball team. The Hornets are a mess. The Hornets and the Knicks, two teams the Bulls fans can feel confident in knowing are worse off than we are. (laughs) If that is any kind of consolation. Thanks for checking in. Uh, 815 simply just says Archie for only nine 
several exclamation points, and then F yeah, several more exclamation points. So before the Luke Cornette news of uh, later in the evening on Tuesday, we learned that the Bulls are bringing back one of Jim Boylan's favorite guys, good old Archie, or as we dubbed him early on in the Bulls Outsiders season one, Tiger Beat. That great hair. Uh, Man, I was not at all surprised to see this. Based on everything I had been hearing early in the offseason, the Bulls very much value Archie Diacono, a guy who was brought into training camp this time last year with no guarantees and no promises of even making the roster. And he ended up playing 81 games. 81! Yes, it would be a disappointment if, again, in the year in the year three of the rebuild, you know, Archie Diacono is playing more games at the end of the 1920 season, has played more games than Levine, Markkanen, Wendell, Otto, the core of this team, the starting five. Because you want Archie to be a solid backup piece. You want him to be backcourt depth on a decent roster. Because most often, if he's your your starting point guard, he's you're on paper you're you're going to get out talented against pretty much any other NBA roster, and that's no disrespect to Archie. He can carve out a very nice role for himself in this league as a backup guard, and I think that he could flourish in that role. But when you looked at some of the numbers between the Bulls' primary starting four when they were healthy last season with Archie running the offense. And Chris Dunn and the same four running the offense. Archie was better. I'm not saying that Archie is a better basketball player and a better NBA player than Chris Dunn. Because there are apparently a lot of Dunn stands out there somehow. I don't know where they came from. That are that are just so offended by that notion. But what is true is that based on the talent that this roster has and had last season. Archie's skill set was better suited to be efficient minimalized turnovers, hit his shots when they presented themselves, but more more importantly, find looks for his teammates. And when Chris Dunn was in there, it was sort of an uglier, less good version of the Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, I go, you go, my turn, your turn, backcourt with Chris Dunn and Zach Levine. They never developed any chemistry. It never worked together. And not only that, yes, Chris Dunn is an above average defensive player. But Archie had a team high, I want to say, 13 charges drawn last season. Loves to get his hands in some passing lanes. Diving on the floor for loose balls, and you can laugh and roll your eyes if you want to. But that shit matters to Jim Boylan. I think Jim Boylan and John Paxson both believe that a lot of the younger players in today's NBA are soft and feel entitled and aren't willing to work for what they want. And in some ways, and maybe it's a bit of an exaggeration, that's what we've heard about Chris Dunn. And I don't know for certain if that's true, but it's certainly something we've heard. So when it comes to Archie and giving him this guaranteed contract, three years, $9 million, did did any of us see this coming a year, a year and a half ago? Based on the little that we knew about Archie being a G League player, a two-way player? No. But the dude earned it. He played 81 games, and and he played through a lot of the season with a with a busted up shoulder. My pal C. Red Fred, who was never a, a big fan of Archie, 
uh, and and dubbed him several different nicknames, including and primarily Archie can't play in the NBA. Was trying to point to his his uh, his bad shooting numbers in December and January. Well, yeah, he was playing with a really messed up shoulder. Hard to shoot a basketball when your shoulder's messed up. Um, all that is to say, I think it was based on everything we saw this past season, what we know about Paxson and Boylan, what they value in their players, and the actual production that Archie brought on the court. They're modest numbers. They're not fly-off-the-page numbers, but they're all positive numbers for the most part. And I think he's a solid depth addition to stick around and play minutes when he is called upon. And I'm glad he's sticking around. 630 asks us, is there room for Sadoransky and Thad Young on the leadership committee? (laughs) Thanks for checking in. Uh, I would say that it is 100% certain that Thad Young will be on that leadership committee. And if there's by chance a hierarchy of that leadership committee, that Thad Young is the elder statesman of that, of that leadership committee, because he is now by far the oldest player on this roster. Otto Porter, I would assume is also a lock for the leadership committee because of how much Jim Boylan thinks of him, how highly Jim Boylan thinks of him and also being one of the more elder statesmen, um, but still a few years younger than Thaddeus Young. Fedoransky, I'm not sure. Uh, potentially. Uh, in age, if not for experience, I believe he's the third oldest player on this roster now, but behind Thad and Otto. Um, the other, I would say, likely candidate to be named to that leadership committee, assuming we get that again this time around, Zach Levine, Lowry Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr. In a season that was really tough to watch, When he was on the court last season, the person to me who always was keeping it real and leading by example and also leading by being a surprisingly mature and poised person for his age, Wendell Carter Jr. I think that when you talk about the long-term projections of this core, if Levine sticks around, Markkinen sticks around, Wendell sticks around, Kobe White sticks around, the person of the of that group, not the add-ons and free agency, but the, the the pieces that the Bulls have acquired via trades and drafting to build this this uh, this next rebuild. Wendell, to me, has all of the tools and the looks of and the sounds of the leader of this team. Just happens to be that he's still very, very young. So who knows how that leadership committee will round out, but I guarantee you, Thad Young will be a member. In our Tuesday episode, Jordan and I talked a little bit about some of the other names that were uh, frequently attached to the Bulls as potential targets and ended up going elsewhere. Uh, So some of our texters were pretty happy with the results, not only getting Sadoransky on that sign-and-trade three years 30. From the 217, Bulls dodged the Ricky Rubio bullet. Hell yes, that's Cole from the 217. And similarly, uh, from the 815, holy overpay for scary Terry Rozier. So glad it's not the Bulls making that move. Couldn't agree more. When you look at some of the money that went around to point guards uh, in this uh, free agent period, uh, Terry Rozier getting that crazy money from Charlotte, Rubio uh, uh, in Phoenix, uh, 
Corey Joseph, a name that we all assumed would be the, the, the guy who ended up in the Bulls' lap because of the connection with Boylan and San Antonio, uh, ended up going to Sacramento for three years, 37. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much rather have Sadoransky on three years, 30, than Corey Joseph, three years, 37. Uh, to that point, uh, this one comes to us from Nathan in the 779. Uh, the fans are mad who didn't uh, that we didn't get anyone big or signed Durant. Grow up and live in reality, please. Thank you, Nathan. We are of the same mind. Uh, take a look at the Bulls free agency track record. Take a look at the Illinois weather and taxes, and it will lower your expectations back to reality. I do like the signings. Um, but I personally don't like the years. In my mind, everything should be lined up on a two-year plan, not three. I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but having lots of money to sign big names after we perhaps make ourselves attractive enough for them to come here, core developing into all-stars, which I believe in, that's the right time to make a move. Otto comes off the books. Felicio comes off the books. We would have a lot of cap space. So do you have any concerns over the contracts being three years instead of two uh, or are my expectations for being a free agent spot in year two unrealistic? So thanks for checking in, Nathan. To me, banking on 2021 being the, the time to go out and swing big and get a veteran, bona fide all-star, superstar level free agent to join this young squad that's taken steps is the realistic timeline. Maybe not this season, but certainly you'd hope by 2021 – the spring of 2021, this this bull, this young Bulls team has worked their way into being a playoff team. And uh, as Nathan points out, Otto's money comes off the books. Felicio's money comes off the books. Uh, you're looking at committing uh, to a rookie contract extension for Lowry Marketing, which could be close to or at the max level. But even still with that, you're talking about having at least one max slot to offer a big name free agent star. And hopefully being enticing enough as an organization with good pieces and some recent winning and upwards trajectory to attract those players, to at least get them in the room, sit down and give them your pitch. And then whether or not Paxson and the boys succeed at that pitch is, is another worry for another day, a couple of years down the road. But the thing about three-year contracts versus two, yes, I agree with Nathan. I didn't love the fact that they were three-year deals because it puts a little bit of a complication into, into that timeline of, all right, 2021 is when the books get clean and we go after big names. In that sense, yes, it's true, and it's not ideal. But we have heard, and we haven't gotten exact numbers on this, but this was reported from Casey Johnson, among others, is that both the, the Sadoransky deal and the Thad Young deal have some wiggle room and flexibility when it comes to the guaranteed money on those third years. First two years, guaranteed. Third years, not everything's guaranteed. So that does help a little bit in that regard. And even if the Bulls end up having to pay either of those guys or both of those guys some portion of the third year of those deals, it would not be enough based on the quick math that I've done to prevent them from still having enough cap room to offer at least one max spot. So there's that. The other possibility and the other option here is, based on what this team does in 1920 and in 2021, Thad Young and Sadoransky are both very tradable pieces, especially coming into the trade deadline of the 2020-21 season. Now, maybe the Bulls are a team that's, you know, 
heading towards the playoffs and they don't want to trade those guys and they would rather keep them around to, to try to make a playoff run. That's certainly possible. <coughs> What's also possible is that even regardless of where the Bulls are, even if it's a middling 500, maybe even slightly above 500 team at that point in 2021, they recognize that there are big names out there. There are big fish out there that they have a realistic shot at getting in the summer of 21. And if they don't want that money on their books, they can trade those guys. Thaddeus Young is getting a little older, but even in a couple of years, he'll still only be 33 and can be a valuable veteran bench piece for a team that needs some some front court depth. He can be that. And Sadoransky, he's still going to be in his prime in a year and a half or two years. So, to me, it makes perfect sense that if they were worried about those third-year deals, that that is an option and that is an avenue that they could pursue. But even still, I'm not that worried about it based on what we've heard about those third years for both signings not being fully guaranteed. Another 630 texter says, here's a fun stat. Players with 800 games or more to average 13.5 points, 5.9 rebounds, 1.4 steals on 49% field goal percentage and 30% from behind the three-point line. Shortlist, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, MJ, LeBron James, and of course, Thaddeus Young. <laughs> That's an awesome list and an awesome stat. Thanks, uh, thanks for throwing that into the text line. Look, I think there's certain elements to Thad Young's game that are underappreciated and go overlooked because his stat line never really jumps out to you. You know, that's kind of an interesting cherry-picked, you know, uh, you know, quadrant of stats, a minimum number of this, 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 and this, and the number of players who achieved it over the course of their entire careers. It's pretty awesome. But to me, and this is something that uh, Stefano of The Athletic, who's a friend of the pod, uh, has come on before in the past, does great work for The Athletic, had a post, I believe, yesterday about how some of, and not just some of, but lots of what Thad Young brings to the table is not something that you could pull up off of a box score or or his basketball reference page. Um, and it's in the little, you know, the little things, as they say, the devil's in the details. Some of the ways that he is a help defender, some of the things that he does as just a person with a very high basketball IQ playing on the floor and his many years of experience in the league. Uh, I highly recommend you go read that piece by Stefan No. Also, some video breakdowns embedded in that column. It's really great stuff, as always. Uh, and, and it kind of does a good job of highlighting what exactly it is you can expect from Thad Young and why he's a smart signing and a good signing, even if his stats aren't overwhelming. But nonetheless, that's a pretty cool list and a pretty cool trio of stats. And one more text here from 951. What Bulls player do you expect to be an all-star next year if you could only pick one? So the key word here is expect. What player do I expect to be an all-star next year if only one? I got to say Zach Levine, based on the production he showed us last season, 24-5-5. Five and five. Uh, Those are borderline all-star numbers in their own right if they were not on a team that won 22 games. To me, if Zach takes another leap forward, continues to improve his efficiency on the offensive end, not only as a guy who can score at all three levels, but also find times to be a more efficient distributing ball handling guy and continue to improve upon that assist-to-turnover ratio and eliminate those mistakes when he 
was asked to carry a heavy burden at times on a shorthanded Bulls roster. Um, I would like to say Lowry Markkinen has a chance at being an all-star next season, but to suggest that he could take what we saw him do in February, right? The amazing 26 and 12 month that made all of us fall in love with him all over again after he missed the first part of the season with that elbow injury. To expect him to have a fully healthy season and that kind of production across an entire season would be a much bigger jump to make than Zach Levine continuing to make little jumps across the board statistically because when you're talking about all-star, you're usually talking about just the, the stats that jump off the page, right? That, that get you the votes not only from the fan base but from the members of the media who have those votes and from fellow players in the league. So to me... The realistic answer of who do you expect if the Bulls have one All-Star next season? It's Zach Levine. But my secret wish, my hope, I guess it's not so secret, is that Larry Markkinen develops into a All-Star caliber player next season. Because you showed us he can do it over a month. Can he do it over a full season? That's going to be a tougher ask. But I do think that somewhere in that roster, whether it's Levine or Lowry, the Bulls could have will have an all-star representing them in the United Center for All-Star Weekend in 2020. Let's hope that happens. Well, that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. Thank you again, guys, for listening. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line at 331-979-1369. We're on Twitter at Jordan Z. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Make sure you're subscribed to Locked on Bulls. Hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Himalaya. Anywhere you get our podcasts, we are sure to be there. So hit that subscribe button so you get our episodes as soon as they drop. Have a wonderful 4th of July for all those you, all of these people listening in the United States. Have a wonderful holiday weekend. We'll be back on tomorrow's episode with our interview with Michael Walton. And then Friday, we'll be back with a fresh episode. Matt and I will both be here. Regular scheduled programming for Friday to drive you into the weekend. Stay safe. Have a great holiday. And we will see you guys on Friday. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation. We are out of here. Deuces. So I, I don't want to make you cry again, but they have just signed Julius Randle for You're three years. You're trying to, Rachel? I, th- I thought you loved me. I thought you all loved me. How could you even ask? What does it look like going forward. Do you know what else? Didn't you see what else Ramona and them put out? Ramona and Woj put out. They're in Los Angeles as we speak. Are they talking to Kawhi? We don't know. Clearly they weren't talking to KD. They're talking to Julius Randle. Let me they throw, don't love anybody. Let me throw a couple more names at you that Ramona's reporting they're interested in. Bobby Portis and Reggie Bullock. <laughs> what? 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 Rachel, what are you doing to me? I'm what are trying, you? I mean, I'm could you ask here. me something about Kawhi? <laughs> could, could, could you ask me about Jimmy Butler? Could you ask me about ask me about anything other than the Knicks right now? Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. 